From the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies, this is Pardes from Jerusalem. I'm Larry Kluger, a Pardes alum. This week, Yitro. This week, Rabbi Alex Israel discusses Yitro. Rabbi Israel has prepared a handout for this podcast. You can download it from elmad, E-L-M-A-D, dot pardes, dot O-R-G. Rabbi Alex Israel is a member of the Pardes faculty. And now, Rabbi Alex Israel. Thank you, Larry. After the climax of the revelation at Sinai, the thunder and the lightning, the Ten Commandments and the the, the powerful moments of revelation, we uh, come back to earth with a little bit of a bump, I have to say. There are several verses that immediately follow the Ma'amad Har Sinai, the spectacle at Sinai, and they take us from the direct experiences of fire, cloud, shofar, into the world of halachic details. And these are very peculiar verses, which we're going to spend our time with and explain their meaning. Now, as soon as God finished speaking, we read the following. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, This is what you should say to the Israelites. You yourself have seen that I spoke to you from the heavens. You shall not make with me any gods of silver, nor shall you make for yourselves any gods of gold. And then he says, Mizbeach Adama Ta'aseli. Make for me a earthen altar. And you should bring all your sacrifices there. In every place where I cause my name to be mentioned, I will come and bless you. There are several problems with this uh, text. Number one, it sounds like a repetition of the Ten Commandments. Again, I'll, I'll say, uh, you've seen that I spoke to you from the very heavens. Sounds like I am the Lord your God. You shall not make me any gods of silver or of gold. Sounds like the second commandment. Don't make any molten images. And even the third command, which is make for me an altar of an earthenware or an earthen earthen altar and sacrifice your burnt offerings, it ends off with saying, any place where I cause my name to be mentioned, I will come to you and bless you. Sounds something like the third commandment. Don't take my name in vain. There seems to be a fascinating relationship between these laws and the Ten Commandments. But what is it? What's, what, what's going on here? So I'd like to try and maybe begin by explaining why God needs to restate the idea that we shouldn't have silver and gold. We shouldn't make images. And here I turn to Dvarim chapter 4. Perak Dalad, Pasuk Tet, chapter 4, verse 9. Raki shama lecha oshmon afshchama od. Be very, very careful. Pentishkacha tevarim asher o'einecha. Lest you forget the things which your eyes saw. And he mentions here, teach it to your children and to your children's children. What? Yom asher maltilifnei Hashem alokecha b'chorev. The day when you stood at Mount Chorev, Mount Sinai, and he says, You stood at the foot of the mountain. The mountain was flaming. 
וידבר השם עליכם מתוך האש, כל דברים אתם שומעים, ותמונה אינכם רואים, זולתי כל. God spoke to you from the fire, you only heard a voice, you saw no images, only a voice. What's he emphasizing here? He says, and I'll continue reading and try and explain. He says, Be exceedingly careful, because you saw no image on that day when God spoke to you. Maybe you'll become corrupt, and you will make an image, some sort of impression, maybe the impression of a male or a female, the impression of an animal which is in the on the earth, or a bird, or something which flies through the skies, maybe some sort of insect, some sort of fish, or maybe you'll look up to the heavens and you'll see the sun sun and the moon and the stars and you will be led astray and you will worship them what's going on in this text from devarim chapter 4 it starts off by talking about how we have to remember the spectacle that we saw at mount sinai and that, that really we saw nothing other than fire we saw no images we only heard sounds we heard god speak to us and he says but you're going to want to make all of these images why the best way i'd explain is this if you go, for example, you go on vacation and uh, you have a wonderful time, you frequently want to bring home a souvenir. If you've just had a, I don't know, you had a, your son's bar mitzvah, you've had your sister's wedding, uh, you might find yourself leafing through the pictures on your phone, uh, whatever it might be, the day after, to try and bring home the experience. You might, uh, we, we frequently want to connect to a powerful experience, be it a vacation, be it a, a simcha, a celebration, through artifacts, through souvenirs, through items which can um, jog our memory. And that's why sometimes we'll even give gifts when people go home from a wedding, because we want them to have an object, whether it's even just a little magnet with a picture from the wedding, uh, which we will give people. If you can imagine Israel standing and hearing uh, God speak to them at Mount Sinai, the fire and the cloud, one can well imagine that they might want to go home and somehow represent it. Well, how would they represent it? Maybe they'd make something which represented power, a power of a lion, uh, maybe mixed with, I, I don't know what. Maybe they'd make some sort of combination of, you know, I don't know, a crocodile and... Um, what have you, and come out with a dragon because they want to express the fire and breathing fire and the power and the awe and the, the fear and the dread. And this is a direct opening to idolatry. And therefore, the minute that the revelation of Sinai is finished, God turns to Moses and tells him to warn the people. I say to them, I know I know that you're going to want to represent this event. You're going to want to come back and visit this event. And this is what you must not do. And then we'll talk about what you must do. In the first stage, I'll repeat what we said before. Chapter 20, verse 19 in Shemot. So you shall say to the people of Israel, You saw that from the heavens I spoke to you. Do not make any silver gods and do not make any golden gods. So the first thing is no physical representations at all. What can you do? Mizbeach adama ta'aseli. You can make an altar. You can offer there your peace offerings, your sheep, your cattle. Bechol hamakom asher askiret shemi avo elecha overachticha. Any place where 
my name is mentioned, I will come and bless you. This is lovely because what it does is we mention these echo the Ten Commandments. The first commandment, I am the Lord your God, matches here. I spoke to you from the heavens. The second commandment, don't make any images, don't bow to them. Here too, don't make any gold and silver images. But the third commandment is, don't take God's name in vain. Well, I understand I shouldn't take God's name in vain. But how can I take God's name appropriately? When might I be able to use God's name? If I'm not allowed any images, can I at least speak about God? Can I worship God? What is happening here is that God is turning to the people and saying, yes, here is the positive side. In the Ten Commandments, I said, don't take my name in vain, but I'm telling you where you can take God's name appropriately. Next to an altar is exactly the place when you are bringing a sacrifice where you can utter God's name, you can make a promise, you can thank God. There, every place where I call my name to be mentioned, I will bless you. We're not finished with these verses. There are two more to go, and I'd like to stress how special they really are. The verses continue in the following way. We already mentioned that the altar should be made out of Adama, earthenware, clay. But it's, he says here, if you decide to make a stone altar, don't make them out of stones which are filed down, hewn stones. Because if you cut them with a knife, you will have profaned them. Interesting. Number two. You must not go up to my altar using steps, because then you will expose your nakedness. Two fascinating laws. The first one says that uh, we don't use stones which are hewn, which have been cut by a metallic instrument, because when you use a metallic instrument, a, a, here it's called a cherev, a sword, you profane them. The second one talks about the idea that you can't have steps because, of course, people wore long robes and they didn't necessarily have underwear underneath. And therefore, if they took very large steps going up uh, stairs, they would expose, um, especially if the stairs go up quite high, they would be, uh, their nakedness would be revealed. Uh, that's why in the altar, in the, in the temple, there was a ramp and not steps for this very reason. What, what is what are we hearing here? These, in other words, are the Hilchot Mizbeach, the laws of service. God says, make an earthenware altar, but if you make stone, I don't want any knives. And if you, uh, even to get up there, I'm very concerned that you shouldn't reveal your nakedness. What's happening here? And many commentators have pointed out um, that what is being spoken about here are two practices which were very present in the ancient world. Uh, number one, um, they, people used to bring human sacrifices. And therefore he's saying, if you take a sword anywhere near the altar, you profane not only the people, but the stones. God is saying, I want you to sacrifice, but only sacrifice animals. Keep your knives, other than for slaughter of animals, away from the Mizbeach. Even the stones of the altar should not be cut by a knife. Second, I want you to be incredibly careful about uh, sexual exposure. 
And here again, we relate to um, all sorts of cultic practices which took place in the land of Canaan, in the land of Canaan, where there were all sorts of sexual practices which took place in temples. They had male and female prostitutes. They had um, in, in, in the te- idolatrous temples all sorts of sexual practices which somehow related to the pantheon of the gods, to the male god and the female god and what have you. God is saying not only is that banned, but even to the extent that possibly uh, you could reveal yourself by walking up steps, I want to be exceedingly careful to keep sexuality and to keep any sort of killing away from our altar. And then, fascinatingly, this set of laws comes to warn us about the three cardinal prohibitions of Judaism. No images, so there'll be no idolatry. No steps, so there'll be no sexual immorality. And no knives, so there won't be any, um, so there won't be any uh, murder, any human sacrifice taking place at this altar. What is lovely about this set of laws is that essentially what it's giving is an avenue to respond to the revelation at Sinai. As is indicated in the passage we read from Devarim chapter 4, the people are going to really want to uh, come down from the experience of Sinai and give back to God. They're going to want to somehow express their emotion of the majestic experience that they just underwent. And they're going to want to somehow see if they can take this experience and somehow take it back to God, saying prayers, expressing their thanks and adoration. And in order to do this, what happens the second that the revelation at the Ten Commandments finishes is that God gives a set of laws that we might call Hilchot Bama. These are laws for sacrificial places which take place at any location. Um, it could be in any village square or anywhere in the wilderness, that there is a means of sacrificing. Now, some of you are going to be listening to this and say, well, what happened to this tradition? What happened to this laws? Because later on, we find that we have a Mishkan. And it's fascinating because when we do have the laws of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, for example, um, we get told that the altar will not be made of stone at all. It's going to be made with a wooden frame, and made out of copper. So this seems like a not a particularly re- relevant law. Number two, we're going to find that the priests, the Kohanim, have a specific um, uniform. And part of that uniform is to wear michnasayim, to wear trousers, or we might call long underwear. They have some sort of... Uh, long underwear which will actually cover their nakedness so are these do these laws become obsolete what exactly happened i think there's a clear explanation um god gives the laws of a sacrificial altar and says when you feel the need to somehow be able to communicate and you want to communicate certain religious gestures come and make an altar and they did they made an altar but they did not listen to the first rule They did make images of silver and gold. They made a golden calf. And at that point, God takes away the control from the population and he gives it to the priests and he adjusts some of the laws. Since it has to be a specific altar, 
which is carried with them, it's not going to be made out of stone. And even though there will be a ramp, he insists that as a sort of double safeguard, the priests will wear not only long flowing robes, but will wear underwear underneath, again, to obviate the problem of revealing nakedness. So there seems to be a fascinating uh, history here and a fascinating story. But I'll finish just by underscoring the most important point here. God is fully aware of human nature, and God knows that when we undergo a powerful religious experience, we're going to want to somehow replicate it. We're going to want to sing those songs again. We're going to want to somehow find a way of reaching up to God. And he gave us tools. He gave us tools to do this. In their ancient times, those tools were through the sacrificial rite. Uh, In our own times, these are through song and prayer and through mitzvot, that when we experience a powerful human experience which has spiritual dimensions, a powerful spiritual experience, we should use the tools of religion at our disposal to bring it back to Hashem, to bring it back to God, to use it as a vehicle in which we can express our thanks, uh, our primal religious emotions, and let the conversation continue. Thank you. Have a great week and Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Rabbi Israel. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. Thank you.